brilliant. Good morning, everyone. And uh, let me add my welcome to those that you've already received as well. It's great to see you. My name is Rich. If we haven't met, I'm the pastor here. Um, and yes, I have got a bad dose of the man flu. Um, so I have my lemon and honey, but I'm sure we'll get there. Uh, great to see you. Uh, let's pray again as we come to look at this passage. Father God, please, would you help us as we think about this final feast, festival, that your people have long ago celebrated. Please, again, as we prayed each week, show us Christ through it and teach us uh, what impact it should have in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many half-finished projects have you got at home? <laughs> yeah, okay, you're like our house <laughs> from that laugh. Uh, for you, maybe it's DIY, uh, DIY projects. Maybe it's craft projects. Don't start talking about books, half-read. <laughs> Uh, many, many things. It, it is it's easy to start things, isn't it? Finishing it isn't always quite so straightforward. God doesn't do half projects. God doesn't do half projects. He doesn't start something and then not see it through to its end. Christian salvation is multi-layered in that um, it's experienced in different ways and different times. So a Christian, in their conversion, that time when God breaks into their life and brings them from death to life, brings them to uh, a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that moment, God brings salvation to that person. But that isn't it, as it were. That, that, that salvation is saved for a goal, for a, a purpose, this, this future hope, a heavenly home, a permanent place where God is going to dwell with all of his people for all time. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you are somewhere between this point and this point. We are on the journey between the two how can we be sure we're going to get there? Well, because God doesn't do half projects. And that, in some way, is what the Feast of Booze teaches us, and it celebrates. We have come to the final of the seven annual feasts that God gave his people. Now, back then, seven of them. Um, we've looked at them uh, over the last seven weeks, or eight weeks, we saw the, the, the three uh, at the beginning of the spring festivals and then the weeks that came, those 50 days later, and then latterly these, these autumn festivals, the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booze all coming in the same month. The Feast of Booze, in fact, coming as five days after the Day of Atonement. It's the Feast of Booze. You'll also hear it called the, the Feast of Tabernacles, um, or uh, one day Jews, excuse the pronunciation, I've heard it said about 18 different ways, but um, Sukoth, Sukoth, uh, Sukoth, Sukoth, uh, it's still celebrated today. But it's one of the three times in the year when all Jewish men were commanded to travel from wherever they were to Jerusalem, to the place of God's presence. And they were called to come and celebrate this festival together. And it was the joyful climax to the festival year. 
Okay, so this was the joyful climax to the festival year, the last of these seven. Now, much of it was the same as uh, the other festivals in terms of the things they were called to do. Um, so <coughs> if you look down verse 35, 36, you'll see that day one and day eight were holy convocations, gatherings, assemblies. All the people were to get together, and they were to rest and it was to be in a special assembly, a time set aside to focus on the Lord. And they were to present numerous sacrifices. If you want to read the list, it's Numbers 29, and you'll see the prescribed list of sacrifices that were to be offered each day. And in fact, there were so many sacrifices to be offered in that time, all of the 24 divisions of the priests had to be on duty to deal with that and the many sacrifices. But I say we find those things in a number of the other festivals, you know, gathering together, resting from their work, um, assembling to focus on the Lord, offering these, um, offering these offerings. Much was the same. Stop, pause, reflect, remember the Lord, worship him. There are two things which makes this one stand out from the others. The first and the main one is where this festival gets its name. So have a look down at verse 40. And you shall take on the first day of the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever. Throughout all generations, you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. For seven days, the people were to go camping. Yeah? Seven days, the people were... They, they didn't have the canvas that we had, but they would go to the, the kind of forests and the woods and whatever, and they were to chop down the branches bring it back in and make themselves booths, make themselves temporary homes that they were to live in for seven days. So the first standout feature was that they were to live in tents and live in this temporary housing. <coughs> Secondly, the joy. The joy. Now don't be, be put off if you, you notice in verse 39 that it's being described as a solemn rest. Remember that, that word solemn really is, really is kind of special. It's to make it to stand out from the, the weekly Sabbath. It was a, a special rest. And you see at the end of verse 40, where it says, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You are to rejoice. This is the only of the seven festivals where rejoicing is commanded. You're told, look, rejoice, people. Now, I understand that for some of you, those two things, tense and joy, do not go together. Right, it's a quick straw poll. Who likes camping? Hey, whoa, that is more than I thought that was going to be. That was more than, more than I thought. Okay, I'm not going to ask you, or you naysayers who don't like camping, who can't imagine the joy. Right, even if you're not wild about the accommodation, I, I'm sure you can imagine the scene. All of the God's people together. Family, friends, the whole nation. Can you imagine them trying off into the wood, chopping it down, pitching it in together. Oh, let me give you that, help you there. 
the warmth, the connection, the camaraderie as they build these things. Day three as they're starting to get a bit miserable. There you go, have a cup of tea. Oh, yeah. That sense of belonging, being part of the community. Being together, celebrating with joy, God. It was a festival that evolved all of the senses. They were to, to live it out. And in fact, the staying in booths was to accentuate their joy. It was a joyful climax of the festival year. But what was it a celebration of? Well, partly it was a celebration of God's care and provision. So do you notice at the beginning of verse 39, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land. So in first thing, it was a celebration of God's care and provision for them for that year. As they gathered in the harvest, as everything, all of the different crops are collected. It was to say, time to cause people to get together and say, Lord, thank you so much for your gracious provision. It was joy to celebrate all that he'd given them. But it was more than that. And here's the main thing, really, is it was a, a joyful celebration of complete salvation. Joyful celebration of complete salvation. You see, this festival, <clears throat> more than, than any of the others, I think focuses on the, the, the full aspect, complete aspect of the redeeming work of God. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, you can see on your sheets that the three things that we're going to look through is we're going to see that, that this feast was about remembering God's rescue from Egypt, how he rescued them from Egypt, how he then sustained them on their journey and established them in the promised land. Let's go through those three things, um, as we will see, uh, see them uh, lived out. Um, but, but let me just quickly show you that, that, um, where I get this from. Have, have a look at, well, in verse 42, sorry, they're, they're told that it's to live in the booze. That's where you get that bit. And then here's verse 43, here's the purpose. So the people are told why they are to do, live in these, these booths for seven days. Verse 43, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So here's the purpose. Year after year, why were they to do this? Well, to remember how God brought them out of the land and then made them dwell in booths. And we'll fill in the final one as we go through at the end. So let's look at these. First off, uh, he rescued... I think I made a mistake in my notes. But imagine you see rescued. Oh, no, there we go. I'll just duplicate it. Rescued. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, living in booze was a reminder to the people that in the past God had rescued them from slavery. Okay, what's known as the Exodus was the great saving work of God in the Old Testament. God's people had been living as slaves for hundreds of years in cruel oppression from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And they'd been suffering and suffering and they, they cried out to God and God heard them. And he raised up Moses and then through Moses and through great acts of judgment, through the ten plagues, ultimately the death of the firstborn in, in Egypt, 
Through a great act of judgment, God brought his people out of slavery and set them free. And then uh, he delivered them and rescued them and led them through the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army bearing down on them. And living in booze reminded the people that God had brought them out of the land, that he'd rescued them from slavery, freedom from slavery, freedom from oppression, freedom to, to love and to serve God. But when he saved them, he, he didn't go, right, brilliant, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt and then I'm going to supernaturally transport you, drop you in the, the promised land, the land that I've, I've going to give you as a home. You know, and he saved them to a journey. He saved them to temporary shelters. Excuse me, you see it again in verse 43. Your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Out they came, incredible, wonderful rescue, but then he saved them to this journey to live in these booths. And so secondly, it was a reminder then of how God sustained them as they lived in booths, as they travelled to the promised land. Forty years. Forty years God's people wandered through the wilderness. This is a map of what people think roughly the path people took. Um, You can see them journeying from Egypt up into the promised land. And it was a difficult time for God's people. They faced enemies, physical toll, numerous disappointments. If you don't like camping, I think 40 years of it. 40 years living in these temporary housing. Temporary because, well, they were constantly packing it all up, moving on, settling down, packing it up, moving on. (coughs) And living in booze for these seven days of a year reminded God's people of when themselves or their previous generations did that but reminded them of how God had sustained them and provided for them on that journey how he provided manna from heaven bread from heaven to feed them and sustain them how he'd supernaturally provided water on on multiple occasions of how he guided them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night how he protected them. And so as the people were camping out in their booths, they, they, they were not only thanking God for his provision over the last year, they were thanking God for remembering his provision for God's people on that long journey. How he'd sustained them for it. But then finally he established them. What does the cynic say the best part of camping is? Going home. <laughs> exactly right. And again, um, you may or may not agree with that, but, but even if you love camping, I, I imagine there's a sense that you go, yeah, I, I kind of do get, to, to a degree, I understand that. You know, that first night back in your own bed, when making a cup of tea is as easy as going, click. You know, the, the, reason it, um, the, the reason it's so good going home is because what you're doing is you're setting aside the temporary, even if you love the temporary, and I, we like, we're going camping in the summer, even if you, but you're setting aside the temporary 
and you're taking up the permanence. And so the people were to stay in these booths for seven days, seven days in the temporary before returning to the settled. And God's people back in that Exodus time, they were rescued from Egypt, God sustained them on the journey in order that he would settle them in their promised land. He was going to give them this home. That was the goal. Not simply let's just get you out of Egypt, as wonderful a salvation as that was, but no, it's going to, I was going to give you this precious <coughs> permanent land. And so when they got there, God fought for his people and he settled them and established them and he gave each of the 12 tribes their, their particular portion in this area. He gave them their home, their permanent place. Now, if you know your Bibles, we know that all goes wrong. But, but, but for him, it, it, he gives them the, temp, the, the temporary is turned over to the permanent. Now, I can imagine, yeah, I say by about, what, day five, camping out, thoughts are starting to kind of go back to, to, to going home. Because the booths were to, to make them mindful that God had graciously given them this permanent home. He'd settled them in the land, a land that was theirs. With this, this, this festival, you know, there is something special about things that involve all of our senses. I think we can kind of see that, I think, ourselves. You know, um, Jesus could have just said that when you meet together, just pause for a second, and I want you all just to think about the work that I did on the cross. He could have done that, but he didn't. He gave the Lord's Supper. He said, look, take, take the bread, eat it. Take the wine, drink it. There's, there's something about that, that the whole body being involved, it brings it to life. Think about baptism. He could have said, I'll just stand up in front of people and anyone else is around and say, look, I'm repented and I've, I've come to new life. Jesus, save me. But no, you know, he gave this whole like, this picture of going down into the water and coming up, rising out to new life. But as those people in this feast, as they, they made and then they stayed in their booze as they were camping out, there's something about living it, thanking God that he'd rescued them, he'd sustained them, and he'd settled them. It brought that great joy to that celebration. And by now, of course, we know that this festival, like all the others, points us to the Lord Jesus and you won't be surprised to, to, to know that it does so in, in the ways that we've looked at here for God's people in the past God's salvation today for his people is complete it is all encompassing some of my favourite verses in the Bible come from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 where we, we see these three elements brought together. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So looking back to the past, all praise to God, looking back to the past, he has caused us to be born again, brought us to new life. He has rescued us to a living hope that he already says there. But in the next verse, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Wow, what a future. In a world that is the complete opposite of all those things, that is perishing, that's defiled, 
It's fading. But no, we look forward to this better inheritance. It's perfection. So cause to be born again to a living hope to this incredible future inheritance <coughs> who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be ready revealed in the last time. See, God doesn't just save us. No, he, sa- he saves us to this incredible future and he's guarding us, ensuring that his, every one of his people will get there. And Christians, we look forward to that salvation, that future. We look forward when, as we saw a few weeks ago, when the whole harvest is going to be gathered in. All of God's people together are going to be gathered. And that will be the joyful climax of all creation. And that will be the joyful celebration of complete salvation. And it's going to be the joyful celebration of those three things that the Feast of Booths points to. But even fuller and better. So quickly, let's just look through those three things again. It'll be a celebration of the rescue that Jesus has done. Just as God's people in the Old Testament were were under the tyranny of slavery in Egypt, well, so naturally every single human being is a slave to to an even greater power, a greater tyrant, sin. Jesus himself says everyone who sins is a slave of sin, under its power, its control, its grip. But the great hope for Christians and the great, um, great saving work of the Lord Jesus is that by his death and resurrection, he broke that power. He broke those chains by dying on the cross, taking the, the, the full penalty of sin. He broke the power of sin, setting us free. Jesus did that. And uh, um, we, we read this in John's Gospel. John, I think, deliberately alluding to this, this idea of the Feast of Booze. Um, he said, and the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the word tabernacled, tented. Jesus came and tabernacled here on earth. He came on his rescue mission. And just as in Egypt, as it's through an one act of one well, sorry, through an act of great judgment, he set his people free. Also with the Lord Jesus, it was an act of great judgment, but that judgment fell upon the Lord Jesus, not the guilty. Jesus paid the price so that you and I can go free. Anyone who comes to him. And that is going to be the theme of his people's praises for all eternity. Did you notice how both the first and the last <coughs> first and the last festivals of the year, how they both focus on God bringing his people out of Egypt, Passover, the Feast of Booze, how he brought his people out of Egypt. Because the thing is, we, that needs to be our foundation. We need constant reminding that our identity as God's people is solely down to God's gracious saving work. We need constant reminders of that. We need to top and tail our years with that truth. We need to top and tail our days with that truth. If you're not a Christian, please would you hear that truth? 
that the only way that you can be saved is by trusting what Jesus has done, not by doing anything yourself. We can't do it. We can't set ourselves free. We need him to do it. If you are, well, it's that truth that guards us from those, those two twins, from, from pride and despair, and how incongruously they sometimes come together. You know, as Christians, we think, when, and when we're doing well, then we, we feel quite good about ourselves, and we kind of think, oh, yeah, I'm kind of I'm doing all right here. But of course, when we mess up, which we do so often, well, then, oh, yikes, we start despairing because of our performance. But actually, we see how God's rescue saves us from both because our rescue is down to the Lord Jesus, not our performance. We don't just celebrate his rescue, we celebrate his sustaining power. (coughs) Jesus doesn't save his people and say, good luck, see you in heaven, or not. I know, as we're journeying through from the rescue to our eternal home, Jesus sustains his people on that journey. Sorry, I've not got it uh, for the screen. Um, You don't need to look at it, you can do it. It's John 7. But (coughs) speaking at the Feast of Booze, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. See, all who come to Jesus and drink find salvation, then are given the Holy Spirit to strengthen and empower, sustain and keep us going on this journey. I think that's helpful to remind, it's such a basic fact, but it's a helpful reminder for us Christians that we are on the journey. We've not made it yet. This journey is a struggle full of troubles and difficulties. We are not what we would want ourselves to be. And yet we have the Spirit strengthening us, helping us, sustaining us as we journey to our eternal home. And then finally, we, we will be established. I say, we are, the, we are on the journey at the moment, but yet we look forward to that time when we will be established. And when all of God's people are gathered together for this final feast, then indeed all of his people will be there. And the temporary will be replaced with the permanent. And see what the Apostle Paul says. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For we know that the tent that is our earthly home, that's our bodies, when the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house made with hands eternal in the heavens. I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to that. I say when a minor dose of the man flu whacks you for like a week, aches and pains... And I'll say these are small things. I know many in our church family suffering with far worse things, chronic illnesses. It is hard. We groan and we do groan now, but we groan with hope that the temporary will be replaced with the permanent. Think on that in those moments of struggle. 
wonderfully, wonderfully, wonderfully. God doesn't do half projects. His salvation is complete. It is total. He does that work of rescuing each and every individual sinner that he saves. He, he does that rescue of each and every one of his people. And then he sustains us on the journey until he establishes us in our eternal home. He does do half projects. The salvation is complete. Which gives us all the comfort we need to keep going on this journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your saving work. Thank you for the picture that, that, that we see in the Exodus, and how you, you really did save your people then. Thank you for that great picture and what it means for all of your people today of how you've rescued and saved from death, from slavery, and how you saved us to this wonderful future home and hope. Thank you that we can trust you to sustain your people on that journey to the promised land. And we ask that your spirit would help us to do that and we'd know his help each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.